for sorry october 15th 2018 i'm scott and i work on adafruit circuit python uh or circuit python i'm sponsored by adafruit uh, but we are trying to build the project bigger than just adafruit um, we have this meeting every week which involves uh some folks that are sponsored to work on circuit python and some folks that just do it as a hobby uh, we want to hear what everyone's working on uh, we do this meeting every week uh, as a way to just get together and figure out all the different things that are going on in the, in the community. It happens on Mondays at 11 p.m. 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, in our Discord channel. Uh, we chat uh, over text in our Discord channel all week. So if you want to join that, uh, either for the voice meeting or for the text, uh, what you can do is go to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Um, that will dump you into our Discord server. Uh, which has channels like CircuitPython and General and Off Topic and Pet Photos and Project Help and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but we primarily do all of our uh, communication around CircuitPython within that, uh, both the CircuitPython channel and the CircuitPython voice channel. Um, so join that. Uh, this meeting is split into uh, four and a half parts, so to speak. Uh, first, we'll do a State of CircuitPython uh, broadly, and then I'll talk about the core. Katni will talk about the libraries. Uh, the second thing we'll do is hug reports, which is a chance for all of us to just say thank you to other folks for uh, the work that they've been doing within CircuitPython land or even broader than that. Um, we do that as a round robin, so everybody has a chance to speak. And the way that works is that I will start and then we'll go through the list of the people on the, um, on the voice channel. Uh, after we get through that round robin, we'll do a second round robin for status updates, which is uh, talking about what you've been working on in the last week and what you plan on working on in the coming week. Um, just briefly, you know, like two minutes a piece uh, tops. Uh, that's really good for other people giving tips and tricks about what's going on. And uh, so that's, that's really handy. And then the last thing we'll do is uh, in the weeds, which is our discussion section for just any larger topics or, or discussions that we want to have. Um, what we do is we just have folks who are in the meeting type them into the text chat we collect them in the notes throughout the meeting and then we go through all of the things that came up um so yeah that's that's kind of the order of the meeting uh you'll hear me taking time codes which is uh time time spots during the video recording uh that cor correlate with the notes so uh, if you are listening to this later and don't want to listen to the whole thing or uh, you listen to this but you want to find the thing that was really interesting, you can check out the notes and that will tell you where in the video approximately that discussion happened. Um, so you'll hear me talking about notes. Those notes now go into a uh, GitHub repository. They used, to be, um, they used to be just in gists, but I made a repository last week which makes it much, much easier to both search all of them and find all of the historical ones. All the notes also have links to the videos, so that's another way to hop into the videos. Um, okay, I think that's it. Um, the videos are posted on the Adafruit YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. Uh, check them out there if you're curious. So uh, with that, I will take a time code and get started on the status or the state of CircuitPython. Um, 3.47. Uh, so overall, uh, this is kind of a statistics view of, of what's been happening in the last week. I ran these numbers last night. We have a, a script that we dubbed Adabot that pulls these for us. 
Um, so we had 32 pull requests merged uh, overall last week uh, from 16 different authors, which is amazing. And we had eight different reviewers. So again, as always, if you want to contribute and you're just getting started, reviewing is actually a great way to do it. Uh, take a look at the code, make sure it makes sense, and uh, test it if you have the available hardware. Um, people who are new uh, authors that I, I don't remember seeing commonly, uh, I just like to call them out. So David's Keck, uh, ID Crook, Hugo Dahl, Process 1183, uh, Sag Attack, uh, Dan... Yeah, so those are the new folks in that list. And then um, also thank you to the eight reviewers that did that. And then issue-wise, we closed 13 issues. Uh, six people closed 13 issues, and 13 were opened by eight people. So we're kind of, uh, again, hovering. We're not we're not adding too many, but uh, we're also not gaining ground on our open issues. Um, so that's overall. And then for the core, uh, we had seven pull requests merged. Um, from five different authors and two reviewers, myself and Dan. Uh, we have eight open pull requests as of last night. Um, and if you want to see exactly what those are, check out the notes, but I won't read those off. And then uh, for the core, we had four closed issues but and eight opened issues. So we were actually a net, uh, net negative on that. I think I opened a few. I'm probably part of the problem. Um, for a total of uh, 57 open issues in the core. So download stats, um, 3.0.3 was released last week, uh, and we've had 706 total downloads. Follows the very typical trend that we've been seeing with downloads, where Circuit Playground Express is by far the most popular download. Um, Halloween is actually it. So Circuit Playground Express is at 189 of those 706, and Halloween is actually 84. So uh, Trinket is 69. So those are the top three. If you Again, if you want all the numbers, check the notes. Um, our latest unstable release is 4.0 Alpha 1 still, and it has 539 total downloads. So it goes to show you how uh, how many fewer downloads that our unstable releases get. Um, overall, uh, before we go into libraries, I just wanted to say uh, CircuitPython is going really well. Um, we've had our community grow really well, and uh, Hacktoberfest is, is really helping that as well. We're getting lots of new people that way, I believe. So... Um, thank you to everybody, both for uh, coming into this community and those of you who have been here a while. Thank you for helping all of the newcomers. Uh, that's really great. Uh, we'll again see more uh, work on 4.0 happen over time um, and we'll get through our alpha. So definitely want to get an alpha 2 out this week as well. Um, Katni, how are the libraries going? Libraries are going great. <laughs> So we had 25 pull requests merged from 12 different authors. Um, the new people, which you already pointed out, but I will point out again, are David S. Keck, um, I.D. Crook, Hugo Dahl. Those are names I don't recognize um, from, from the last uh, few weeks. So thank you guys very much. We had seven reviewers. Um, thank you everybody who has been doing reviews. Um, it's been a great help. Um, and like Scott said, reviewing is a great place to start um, if you're not sure where you want to start for contributing, uh, but you want to you want to get involved. Um, just taking a look, sometimes something as simple as a typo um, that you could catch, and that's a super important thing. So take a look um, at the different uh, open pull requests and see uh, see what you can find. So we have uh, 12 open pull requests on all the libraries. 
Um, as for issues, we had nine closed issues this week by five people and five opened by four people. So we are getting down further mm. on issues. Um, mm. Typically we stay about even, but um, that's that's good. We have 57 open issues. Um, again, I'm not gonna read through all those either, um, but those are a good place to start. Um, as well, if you want to contribute to see uh, what's going on there, because some of those could be as simple as a typo that needs to be fixed. Um, as for the rest of it, uh, we have various and sundry things that are going on both with um, with the repos themselves or with the libraries, things that can be updated. Um, if you want to know all the specifics, check out the notes or the uh, new CircuitPython libraries tracking issue that's on the CircuitPython repo. Um, we updated that today. So that now has uh, all the information about what's going on and it has a much more in-depth um, list of the library stuff um, with with actual uh, links for a lot of the stuff that doesn't have links in the notes. Mm -hmm. So I uh, take a look at that if that's um, something else you wanna look at. Um, if you have any questions about it, feel free to ping uh, myself or any of us because some of those repos are brand new um, and there's a reason they're on the list. Uh, but there are a bunch for which that is not the case. So and if you're, we would love to have you join up. And if you're only listening, that's issue CircuitPython issue 1246 is if you want to look it up. Yeah. So other than that, um, everything is going really well. Thank you so much to everyone who's gotten involved. Thank you so much to all the new people who have shown up, um, all of our Hacktoberfest people um, as well. And uh can't wait to see what we have new for next week. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, with that, we'll move on to Hug Reports. Katni uh, gave a preview of what that's like, saying thank you to other folks. So uh, Hug Reports is an Adafruit thing that we picked up from the what they do internally. Uh, it's a chance for us to all just say thank you to the folks that um, have been doing awesome over the last week. Um, I'll start as an example, and then uh, we'll go around the around the room. I'm making air quotes around the room um, in the voice channel. Again, if you're if you're just lurking and you don't want to participate in the round robin, just drop a text comment in the circuit Python text chat, not the live broadcast one. And uh, we'll, we'll skip over you, so that's all cool. Um, okay, so I'll start. And I actually got ahead of it last night and was thinking about, um, got my notes together. So I actually have quite a few, which is cool. Um, I just kept, I was like get, getting through all my email and I just kept adding more and more. So uh, I'll start, obviously. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say uh, thanks to Dan for all of the Windows driver work. I'm really happy that I don't have to do that work. And I'm really happy that he helps everybody who has troubles with those. Um, and in addition to that, all of the general forum support that Dan does as well has been great. Um, Carter, I wanted to say thank you to you for all of the pull requests, uh, reviews that you've been doing specific, uh, especially for the Hacktoberfest that have come along. And then also we had a discussion about unifying external ADC APIs and thank you for that as well. Um, Josh and Kyle from the KMK, uh, keyboard firmware project. I wanted to thank you, say thanks to you. I think one of you are in the chat. Um, we've been having really, really interesting discussions around, um, making circuit Python more applicable to what I, I think it was like the appliance case where uh, we want it to work, but we also want to make sure that it, or we want to make it hackable, but we also want to make sure that it can work. 
and and if it's hackable what happens when they hack it in a way that causes it to not work and how do you kind of escape out of that and and make it work again so um those discussions have been really really awesome and if folks want to know more about that reach out to me and I'll, i'll point you to the the issue that's happening on um, I wanted to thank uh, some Pythonistas, Melissa, Amanda, and Marietta, for helping me on my uh, speaker proposal or my uh, presentation proposal for Podcast Cades. Uh, the closing date for that is rapidly approaching, and they've been giving me really good feedback. So thanks to them. Um, I wanted to thank C. Grover for the detailed analysis of audio out's output. Um, we're going to expect people to start using more of that audio output on like speakers and headphones and stuff. And we don't want to blast their ears out. Um, so Seagrover did a lot of really good analysis over that. And I'm trying to make uh, the way that we do the output more friendly or to, or more friendly to actually like listening to it and not having uh, noisy things happen. Um, wanted to thank uh, Mike Brella for uh, releasing the newsletter last week and, and taking it over from me. Uh, in the future. So it, it's one thing off my plate, which has been really helpful. So thanks to Mike. And then lastly, um, I wanted to thank Summersoft and Dave Estelles for fixing the perk up ears example, which I uh, used the old servo uh, stuff that I had Brent delete, and then we didn't update the guide. So Summersoft and Dave, uh, thank you for being responsive once somebody pointed out the fact that uh, Brent and I had broken that. All right. Um, uh, next is Brennan, who is text only, so I'll read those off. Again, um, I guess I didn't say this explicitly. If you're, uh, if you don't have a, if you don't have a microphone, feel free to put hug reports in, and I will read those off, uh, kind of in place of your turn. Uh, feel free to again do it um, early as well, so that uh, I I'll just read it off in order, even if it goes in the chat early. So. Um, Brennan says, uh, thanks to Summersoft and Tanute myself for a review of the Trellis PR and Katni for the ongoing stewardship of the library project. So awesome. Thank you, Brennan and Carter. Oh man, I got a lot this week. Been just scribbling them down as they come up and I'm looking at what I got here. Let's go through them. Okay. So one, one, one to Dan for helping out, uh, to get Travis going on the MCP three triple X repo. That was basically just Travis stopped working on it and hmm. had to dig through the not so great Travis GUI to figure out where the hangup was. It turned out to be just a simple YAML syntax issue fixed and rolling again. So sweet. Nice. Uh, Summersoft for catching my blunder on getting the cap 1188 lib into the bundle. I uh, forgot how to Linux once again <laughs> <laughs> and Katni for helping undo that mess which took half a morning pretty much. Uh, Jerry and Summersoft for the DHT quirk that that came up this weekend. And I think uh, Jerry's got a PR in to possibly fix it. That was kind of an interesting subtlety that they found out. Uh, K-Town came for helping out with something with related to LSM 303. There was a bunch, it's basically just a poor data sheet issue on describing how the data registers actually are laid out mm and various other details for that that particular sensor. And there's a lot of like ambiguity and weirdness if you look at the various drivers that are out there. And that's just kind of getting propagated in all the new drivers that are based on the old drivers. So I kind of asked internally, he showed up and investigated it and put in some comments and stuff and even put in a PR to fix the current CircuitPython library for that. Mm-hmm. 
So that was pretty cool. Um, and to uh, process at 1183, there's an ongoing discussion for the DRV 2605 little haptic motor driver board. And he's got a PR, he or whoever this is, he or she's got a PR for um, for something. And, but we got a discussion that's just kind of been dragging for days and days. So thanks for hanging in there and dealing with the ongoing discussion on that. And that's all I got. Awesome. Thank you, Carter. I, it's been a super strong week, so I'm glad that it's not just me that, that thought that. Um, all right, C. Grover. No mic this week due to some local bandwidth issues. I group hugged a team for helping me learn and grow. Although I don't understand all of the Discord discussions, I'm continuing to learn and apply new uh, friends to me concepts and techniques. A uh, special shout out this week to Phil B, the LED whisperer for his CircuitPython fancy LED library. It's amazing, saving a lot of effort and producing some excellent color fades for a couple of projects. Uh, also to John Park for his recent animation learning guide, opening my opened my eyes to a better way to frame some NeoPixel strip animations to simplify the code, improving speed and performance. All right. Thank you, C. Grover. Uh, Charles. Just a general hug report uh, to everybody because I, I'm really learning a lot from just listening to everybody, and I very much appreciate that. Great. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Charles. All right, Dakota. Uh, general hugs to the community, as always. A hesitant hug to John Parks. I keep watching his videos and getting distracted from the things I intend to work on, but <laughs> nonetheless. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Dakota. Um, Dan. Hi. Um, thanks to everybody, Kathy Carter, Summersoft, and Brennan, and other people for all the library stuff. It's just amazing how much it goes on. I come back like eight hours later, and there are three <laughs> more libraries or something like that. Um, thanks to Jeff Epler, who's trying to make Travis faster, which everybody oh, likes. Yeah. And thanks for Scott to Scott for like thinking really clearly about what the mixer wants and implementing it. And it, it seems to just work, which is great. And I, thanks to all the people who are doing translation. There are kind of too many to list, or I should eventually list all of them. But they keep submitting PRs and we keep breaking their PRs and they keep fixing them and they're happy to do so. And uh, that's really great. I'm, I really like seeing all these translations. And thanks to Mike Brella, who's sort of taken over uh, managing uh, the CircuitPython newsletter in general and is continuing to write all kinds of guides by himself and supervising other people who are doing guides too. Totally. All right. Thanks, Dan. All right. Uh, Shippu. So, <clears throat> thanks to John Park for trying to get the Hello to, to work with the Academy batch mm. thing for the Academy uh, Super Conference. And uh, good luck to Titi Mobi, who's uh, finally uh, trying to, like, he got over his fears and he's trying to build a circuit Python board. Cool. He's all. And uh, yeah, that's all. right. Thanks to Shippu. All right, uh, F. Morton's lurking, so we'll go to Jerry. Oh, um, 
uh, a great uh, hug to uh, Carter and Somersoft for always being there to to discuss these issues that come up. Uh, the stuff with the the DHT and the uh, LSN 303 was was fun fun discussions last week. And uh, and and in a general hug to, to Dan too for his constant um, trying to clean up and smooth out the NRF issues that come up. So appreciated. Awesome. And a group hug for the rest. Sweet. Thanks, Jerry. All right, Katni. So, um, giant hug to uh, Carter and Summersoft for all the library work, PR reviews, merges, and overall involvement in the libraries. Um, you guys have really made the transition into Keeper of the Libraries uh, super smooth, and I really appreciate it. Um, Brennan, for continuing to work through PyPI stuff, and thanks for always being there to deal with the weird stuff I find um, and testing everything for me. Uh, Dan, for talking through some important things. Thank you for your support. Uh, Carter, Summersoft, and Jerry for all the effort putting into helping a user this weekend with an issue that turned out to be a bug in a library. Um, and Jerry for finding the fix for the bug and putting in a pull request. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys for um, sticking with that. I know that that one got a little bit odd, um, but you guys didn't give up and got it all sorted out. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Sweet. All right. Thank you, Katni. And next is... I'm gonna, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, Clar.sh. Clar.sh. Um, sweet. Says I says I pronounced it right. Uh, is text only, so I'll read off read off what they say. They say, uh, my hug report is over text because I'm at work. Uh, shout out to Scott for the great discussion and help on the KMK project, and for working with uh, KDB424 and I on how to move from our hacked up fork of CircuitPython to proper upstream CircuitPython, and for ideas on upstream contributions we can make towards that goal. Uh, cheers. Yeah, awesome. I'm very excited about that. So thank you, Clar.sh. Um, okay, and then uh, Summersoft will be text only as well. So I'll read off Lady Ada. She was in the chat just a bit earlier. Uh, she says, uh, Free hug report to Scott for Mixer. We'll test soon. And uh, hugs to all the library helpers. So much happening. Jerry, Summersoft, Carter are killing it. Woohoo. And then lastly, uh, Summersoft. Perfect timing, as always. Says, uh, Carter for the FRAM library review discussion and reminding me of Python one-liners. Always forget about those. Uh, Scott for, for the review on CircuitPython build tools. Uh, Katni for the review slash merge on Adabot. Uh, Jerry and Carter for always being ready to battle. Uh, D ready to battle DHT slash AMXXX and winning. Uh, process 1183 for the Hacktoberfest PRs. And the biggest of big hugs for the group. Such a blast being involved with this community and project. Awesome. Uh, thank you, everybody. That was Hug Reports. Uh, let's keep going. Um... 2327. So uh, status updates is the next section. Uh, it is a chance for you to just talk briefly about what you've been working on in the last week and what you plan on doing in the next week. What that is and how that relates to CircuitPython is kind of up to you. That can either be, for, for myself, it's usually core work, um, but it's also, you can include things like what projects you're building with CircuitPython um, and what guides you're writing and all sorts of stuff. We want to hear about all of it, not just this core development stuff that 
that I work on. So um, I'll take another time code and do my own. Um, I got Mixer merged in, as was alluded to. Mixer is the ability for us to play back multiple samples, whether they're raw samples or WAV file samples, and mer merge those together and then output that to audio or I squared C. Um, it's all part of the audio work that I did way back um, that allows us to merge things together and, and do some really cool stuff. Uh, it's still very much in, it, in its infancy, but it'll get better and better. Um, so I got that merged in. I updated. We have a new upcoming product, the Trellis M4 Express. I updated the board definition of that to the revision D, uh, which uh, Dean and Lady Ada have that I don't actually have. Um, I also released uh, 303, which is the latest stable release. It just fixed one, um, fixed one bug around uh, the audio output rate sample stuff. Um, so that that was just one minor thing. It's actually not super urgent if you haven't hit that to update, but it's always good to be up to date. So I'd recommend it. And then uh, last week I started working on this uh, audio work to make it less friendly to actually listening to it, especially at loud volumes. Um, it basically ramps up the DAC value up to the midpoint. So audio kind of stops at at a particular value and needs to be able to go one one direction or another um, from that value, which you can think of in terms of like an actual speaker where um, the speaker cone is, is at a resting place and either needs to move like backwards or forwards. Um, and that that is a little weird for the DAC because it's unsigned. And so instead of starting at zero, you actually want to start at like half, the, half of a 16-bit number. Um, but it defaults to zero. So if you move from zero to that, that middle value really quickly, you can actually like make audi audible sounds out of it. So uh, Seagrover and some folks on an issue suggested ramping up slowly so you can't hear it, and then ramping it down at the end as well. Um, I got it working on M0, but the M4 is being finicky, so I'll be working on that this week. I'm also going to test the e Ethernet stuff that Nick Moore has been working on, um, and I want to look at that. And then lastly, after I do that, I want to focus on some of the USB work that needs to be done for 4.0. Um, one of that those things is adding USB MIDI support, which will be really cool. Um, that fits with the Trellis M4 audio work as well. And then I also want to add the support for the secondary serial connection, which is our second oldest open issue, and I will be very happy to close that. Um, basically, uh, the current serial connection we have gets interpreted, the bytes get interpreted by this kind of circuit Python stuff, makes it hard to actually pass binary data over it. But um, we'll add it. We have a bug where we want to make a second serial connection that doesn't get interpreted at all. It's just treat, treated like a UART. So um, that will happen uh, soon, hopefully. I, that's what I'll look at later this week. And uh, with that, I am out of time. I will move on to Brennan. Brennan says... It, I should take a time code. <laughs> um, uh, Brennan says, uh, continuing to test slash tweak libraries on the Raspberry Pi as they come up, uh, reviewing PRs where appropriate. Uh, spend a day on Trellis library last week, uh, updating docs, etc. Cool. Thanks you. Thank you, Brennan. Uh, Carter, what are you up to? Um, various things. Let's see what I got here. Uh, did a 
okay, so that MCP three triple X library, once uh, Dan got me rolling again on Travis, I then did a bunch of very tiny uh, line, uh, end of line things and stuff like white space uh, fixes to get it green again on Travis and just did that directly through the editor on GitHub. Mm -hmm. And then once it was green, did a review and tested it. And as far as I can tell, it's functional and good to go. And I'm wondering if we should just go ahead and merge that and we can talk about that in the weeds. Okay. And then I did a fix for the LSM9DS1. Uh, the spy class in that library was apparently just never tested because it was quite broken mm. and got that fixed. And then for the DS0, it's discontinued. I don't have one, couldn't test it. But apparently Lady Ada says there's enough of those out in the wild that she wants to continue to have that library um, supported and functional. So I did kind of a, a PR, just a blind PR of the same fix to that. And I think she's going to test that on hardware to make sure it's good. So the DS1 and the DS0 spy uh, classes should be fixed in the near future. Cool. Uh, check your uh, EPD PR, that <laughs> very simple integer divide instead mm -hmm. of cast. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> Yay. That was good. It looks like you just merged that. So that's all done. And then I got an ongoing code review for the FRAM from uh, Summersoft. And if anyone else wants to get in on that review, please do. Otherwise it's going to be this just two-sided conversation. Okay. Cool. Thank that's keep, it. Keep up all of the great work, Carter. I appreciate all the reviews you're doing and fixes and everything. All right. Uh, C. Grover. says uh revamping the neopixel strip animations for the ufo lighting controller incorporating the fancy led library is the current activity i've been benchmarking the performance of animation frames so that the incremental performance improvements are measured and can be weighed uh, next week i hope to get back to the music synthesizers and euro rack work whilst revamping and replacing recording studio equipment awesome okay dakota Oh, am I, is my audio bad? It's showing green on my end. All good here. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what color bosons are. Uh, Dakota, do you want to talk? I, maybe yours is not working. We can come back to you or type in the text. Looks like the maybe the browser tab is unhappy. All right, let's go to Dan. Hi. OK. Um, let me just find what I wrote down. Mm -hmm. uh, OK. Uh, I've been working mostly on NRF 52. I implemented PWM out. And um, then I started working on the next thing in Pulse.io, which is Pulse Out. And uh, that's pretty close to, it's all written and I just have to start testing it. But uh, in the process, I found it, I found I wanted to make some changes uh, to the NRFX library, which is a thin library that's supplied by Nordic that uh, mm. is for the NRF chips. So um, uh, there were some, sort of not 
exactly paperwork, but uh, mm. like suggesting some changes to Nordic and they're responding. And in the meantime, we're going to clone the library, which we always do, or fork mm. the library, which we always do anyway. Right. Um, and then always the uh, never ending Windows drivers problems. Uh, <laughs> Lady Ada and I are testing a couple of changes to the latest versions of the drivers and there's always support in the forums having to do with windows drivers mm -hmm. and finally yesterday i was finally able to get back to the project which uh basically got me a job at adafruit which is uh, working on an assistive technology project for a, a, a button box where there are a bunch of foot buttons that send um mouse and keyboard commands this is for someone who has pretty good foot control, but not hand control and like would like to do video editing, which involves a lot of keyboard shortcuts mm. if he can do it. So I and that waited for many things, including the M4s to have enough memory. And uh, I'm just I rewrote the code yesterday and um, should be able to show it to him within a week or so. So I'm really pleased about but it's been about a year and a half <laughs> on that <laughs> okay that's it great job with that dan i thank just you. gave you the at makers role okay so. thank you i should have given that to you long ago but uh, never too late mm. um all right the shibu okay i'm still a bit uh, over my head at uh, my day job but uh, on the weekend i got to work on uh, the project that got qualified for uh, the Hackaday Prize to mm. the semifinals. So it's based on the CPX. So it's, it's uh, basically a fire clasp uh, with a CPX on it that you can use to power and, and uh, control uh, like a lot of blower you could have on, on your own. Hmm. Uh, here. Yeah, so. Uh, Basically, I was leaving it uh, for for a while now. There is only one week left for the deadline for the price, so mm. I had to go get back to it. Yeah, that looks super cool. Good luck in the competition. Thank you. Okay, uh, F. Morton's lurking, but also did post a a bit, so just said. Uh, F. Morton's having fun with some small libraries for young students, such as uh, github.com slash fmorton slash makers underscore circuitpython underscore remote underscore control. Uh, so take a look at that uh, if you're interested. Um, and I forgot to take a time code, but that's okay. Uh, Jerry. Uh, let's see. A bunch of little things distracting me from the bigger things I'm trying to do, but uh, spent some time last week with the, the NRF52 with this SPI BLE issue that's that came up where the if you're running uh, using the BLE SPI and it crashes it. So Dan's been trying to track down the the, the cause, and um, I, I at least found that found a workaround that 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 lets it work by d disabling something that was enabled recently. So hmm. at least uh, at least the <laughs> board doesn't keep crashing anymore. Right. Um, but it'd be interesting to, to find out what the what the final root cause of that is. Mm -hmm. um and then uh this uh dht thing would turn out to be really interesting uh user zenith uh reported a problem where um and it's something we've seen <laughs> or, or this type of symptom comes up occasionally where a 
script would work fine when it was on on the USB port uh, or on the REPL, but it wouldn't work if you disconnected and try to run. And usually that's because of of other reasons to do with uh, with, with things. But this one really turned you know took us a while to scratch our heads about, and it turned out to be a really subtle little timing bug in the hmm. in the startup of the DHT code that if you ran it in the first half second after boot, it would return a none value because it hadn't collected any data yet. Hmm. And that was causing the um, a, a user who didn't check for none, check for value, without, if you had a, a you know, a, a compared the reading to a, a less than, less than or greater than a value, it, right. it would crash. Right. And so, it, you know, uh, I think uh, Carter was going to bring up later in the weeds, a discussion about, about the nuns in general. And I think that there is some discussion to be had about that. This, right. I think, was strictly a bug in the, in the way this thing was starting up. So, I think it's worth just fixing it uh, to eliminate the possibility of of this particular startup issue. Hmm. Uh, that's why I put in a quick PR for it. Cool. Uh, and then um, I, I set up a, a LoRaWAN gateway last week, and that's been a lot of fun to play with. And now I'm trying to to work on this project that uh, that Lady Ada brought up last week about trying to convert this tiny LoRaWAN um, module to to see if it'll work under CircuitPython. Hmm. Hmm. We got the hardware in place where I can actually play with it, and it's 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 a it's not it's fun. <laughs> cool, but it'll be a challenge. I think getting that working in memory available. Yeah, I'm glad you're having fun as always. Yeah, cool. Uh, thanks, Jerry Catney. So, uh, last week, uh, fixed the issue with uh, Cap 1188 not deploying to PyPI. Um, Help Carter fix it the issue with Cap 1188 being in the wrong place in the lib bundle. Um, worked on the Cap 1188 and the dot star guides, the updates for um, CircuitPython and, uh, and Raspberry, Raspberry Pi usage. Um, so those are all set to go. I finished up the Adafruit CircuitPython slideshow helper library. Uh, it's super fancy. Um, if, if you have a Halloween, check it out. Um, a lot of different options um, for displaying uh, bitmap files, uh, and I had had a lot of fun with that. Um, so I updated the library tracking issue today, so it is it is as up to date um, uh, as of an hour and a half ago. Uh, up for this week, um, I need to take a look at the changes needed for the MPR one twenty one examples and documentation. Um, I wanted to talk to Carter. Uh, after the meeting about helping with that. Um, continuing to work on updating and creating guides for the CircuitPython Raspberry Pi, uh, Pi PI usage, um, so on. Uh, the MCP230XX is up next. Um, the MCP3XX is already on my radar, Carter, so I definitely have an answer for you. And uh, NeoPixel. Um, as well, I'm going to continue to keep the the library PRs on on everybody's radar. It's mm -hmm. actually been working really well. I brought them up last. I brought a few up last week that needed some attention, um, and attention was received. So thank you, everyone again who has been um, putting in all the effort uh, to keep up with the library stuff. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to try and take care of some of the repo level stuff identified by Adabot because a lot of that is just a checkbox in GitHub. So. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to set aside some time to try and go through some of that and get some of that stuff uh, taken care of. Okay. And let me know if you have any questions about that. Yeah, absolutely. I will do. Thank you. Sweet. 
All right. Um, Clar.sh. Do you want to copy your notes into the text channel as well in case people aren't looking to the notes while I read them off? Google Google Docs is pretty cool, I think. I can see. Oh, they're selecting them. Uh, so I'll read them off. The uh, clar.sh note says, uh, for the core, submitted PR1274, uh, which is mod gzip support for boards powerful slash flash heavy enough to actually run uh, micro zlib. Um, Core-ish prototyped an import replacement that could load gzipped uh, pi modules. Ooh, interesting. Uh, we had been talking about this as a way of shipping lots of code kind of all together in a bundle. Um, really interested in that. Uh, core also brainstorm zip module support. Um, we should look at Python, if Python can do this and how they do it if they do it. Um, should be interesting. Um, for KMK, rebased off upstream CircuitPython 4.0 Alpha 1, uh, flashing over USB mass storage rather than DFU slash UF2. Um, is there's a KMK firmware poll 69. Uh, this week, continuing all of the above, working with KDB424 on serial slash I squared C split keyboard support in KMK land. Um, and for those of you who don't know, um, KMK is uh, re-implementation of QMK, I think, uh, which is a very popular, like, teensy-level Arduino-level, uh, like, mechanical keyboard support, um, project. Um, and so they've been, like, they have tons of really cool code for the, for the KMK stuff, so, uh, hopefully we'll see more and more, uh, hardcore mechanical keyboard people come along and and pick up circuit python um so thank you both to you uh to clar.sh and to kdb424 for uh bringing that into the circuit python land and being open to my uh our discussions which has been great um okay and then i'll briefly mention uh lady ada's uh she was just under the weather last most of last week so not a lot happened uh, but she's feeling better, and so you'll see more happen from her uh, this week. Uh, Summersoft says, um, actually, let me take a roundabout. <laughs> Clarda SH says, uh, roughly, yeah, QMK with some ideas of our own and the awesomeness of Python. Technically, we're not public in quotes with this project yet, but y'all are welcome to poke around and provide feedback. Um, so yeah, early adopters, uh, you hear things like this first on on the CircuitPython Weekly, um, along with Adafruit boards and stuff as well. So um, good to listen along. Uh, Summersoft uh, is last but not least, and I'll take a time code before I read it off, um, says uh, FRAM library I, I2C PR is on the move. Uh, SPY PR is imminent after change requests are merged into that branch. Um, the CircuitPython build tools now include examples in .py and .mpy bundles and makes an examples bundle. Uh, after merge, repo update needs to be pushed to PyPI, of which I cannot exactly help with. <laughs> Smiley face. Yes, but I'm happy to do it. Um, actually, that's not... I think it's all automatic, and you might have rights to release. So if you can do a release on there, let me... If you can't do a release on the build tools, let me know. But it should just get automatically pushed to PyPI, um, and we can hook you up with that. Um, 
minor fix to the cookie cutter for the readme's uh, Travis badge. I think that was just some capitalization stuff that I didn't do right the first time. So thank you for that fix. And then this week is uh, Adabot, Adabot command line. Um, Summer South asks, uh, I've noticed you've used click over arg parse. Do you have a preference? I don't really. I think click is a little bit friendlier, but arg parse is built in. Uh, so it's up to you. Either one's fine with me. I've used both. Um, okay. And then um, that's it for status updates. Thank you, everybody, for that uh, round robin. It's always exciting to hear what everybody's up to. Uh, so we'll go to the in the weeds section. So um, if you have stuff to talk about in the weeds, uh, put them in the CircuitPython text channel now. We'll add them to the list in the notes. And then uh, we'll go down those. I think um, that's just a better way. I used to like sit and wait for people to say something, and and if we just have them in the uh, in the notes, that helps a lot more and makes it more fluid. So uh, we're just gonna start with Carter because Carter's got like four things. So uh, take it away, Carter. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I, th I think that first one we can knock off pretty quick. You mentioned that it's on your radar. Uh, yes. Okay, so yeah, just ping me on that because that's I resurrected that. That PR basically just kind of fell to the wayside and it's been brought back to life recently. And like I said, I've reviewed it. I think it's good to go. So then I, we need to do it done. Yeah, let's let's figure out what needs to be done, if anything, and merge it. Let's get it out there. If you think it's ready to go, then nothing needs to be done but merge it. Okay, take a quick look at the current state of things and just see if okay. there's anything lingering. And if not, let's just wrap that thing up. Yeah, that, um, is, uh, that is the plan yes we can we can always change things after the fact as well yes okay now for this custom i2c stuff for the frame let me let me dump this little image on here so this is um something that came across in reviewing this this is the way this weird little ram i2c chip wants you to do a dance for getting its manufacturer ID and product ID off. So you can see how it's kind of a little weird and non-standard where you start send out that reserve slave ID and then the actual address ID for the device and then that second reserve slave ID and then you get back three bytes, boom, 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 boom. Hmm. So how would, you, how would you do something like that through I2C device so you can kind of be like we've been doing in all our libraries where you don't use I2C directly, but you know, use a context manager with I2C device. I couldn't figure out a way. Well, this is, uh, this looks like something that's pretty common, right? Like I squared C reads tend to be a write and then a read. Right, but you wouldn't have that weird insertion of that reserve slave ID thing. I, it's oh, the address changes? You see, the address is that thing in the middle, the 1010A2A1A0. Hmm. That is the typical start of an I2C transaction. Like, here's the address, here's the read write bit, and then, then the data that follows. It's that weird little, res that, it's that F8 and that F9 that have to be inserted that you can't really do with I2C devices. I2C device has kind of a boilerplate of sending the address, the read write bit, and then off you go. Hmm. I would just not use I squared C device in that case. So how would you how would you do it? 
But I'd, I'd have to just look at the the bare bus I/O. That's oh, which can that... be done, and that's the way it currently is done. Summersoft so, has it where he's just using I2C directly. Right, but the ship is pointing out that the address, the I squared C address, isn't actually changing. It's that. Yeah, they they just set the read bit in there because they they basically write eight bit. They write the address in eight bit format that includes the read write uh, flag. Yeah, that that's not the but issue. It's the added... fact that you you have to create an I two C traffic that that looks like this, and with I two C device you can't because there's no way is, really. No, no, this is a standard I two C thing. You write. Uh, the address that you want to, and then you do a read. Right. So you you write uh, you write the address it wants to be. Like, to me, it looks a little non-standard because that F eight and F nine. Well, they, they just they just write the address in the eight bit format and not like we are used to in seven bit format. So it includes the read write flag. That's why it's the F9 at the second uh, time because uh, right. because uh, the, the read flag is, is set basically. Hmm. Or am I? Well, that's what, yeah, that's interesting. No, because I there is an F at, at, at the beginning. If it was seven bits, you couldn't have an F right. in there. I think you're right because if you look at Summersoft's code, he shifts that address right one, which is dropping, which is making it a seven-bit address. Right. So it is. So the I squared C address is the same. Dishipu's pointing out that the eight, the difference between the eight and the nine is the read-write bit, not the actual I squared C address. So I think the second uh, set of one zero one a something 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 is. Just... But they still send out the address with a rewrite bit in there. Yeah, they second. It's like they send it a second time. I, I wonder if it's just wrong. I don't think it's wrong because you you see the uh, the code block Summersoft just posted where he is doing it low level on the I two C. This is just the repeated start. This is just the repeated start thing. But, you have to but the address is being back. sent three times, right? Based on that diagram. It's sent once as F8, once as like explaining all the A2, A1, A0, and then once as F9. Correct. Yeah, isn't this a setting the address? Yeah, is that, it's not the actual I squared C address it's setting, it's the it's the address of the manufacturer ID in memory. Don't, yeah, good question. I'm not really sure why, where they came up with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually if it's memory mapped I squared C, like you'll do write the address that you want to read, and then you do a, a the repeated start, the slave address, and then read the data back. From right the, from the address you gave like the memory address right right and it, so it sounds like 
that. Oh, basically, basically, it's like they have a second separate I2C device just for querying the manufacturer. Hmm. And you send it the address of the and the I2C address of the device you want to query from manufacturer and it responds with the manufacturer. Hmm. It, it looks like that to me, at least. Oh, that's they're like multi. If you have multiple on the bus because it has a fixed like metadata address, you've got to tell it like, oh, and this is the actual device with that metadata metadata address that I want to read from. That sounds like a hack. Oh, so basically, I I would treat that as a separate I two C device, just for for reading this. Mm, yeah, in the code. Yeah, in the code, and just send it the address of the device you want to right. uh, identify, and then you get the identification. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense to you, Carter? Would you have to create two I2C device objects? Right. That would be yeah, the basically. That's kind of the other way I was thinking about doing it, yeah. You may not have to keep it around, though. You could just do it temporarily, just to clean up the index code. Okay, I'll uh, I'll play with it that way. See if I can get it to work. Yeah, this was a weird one. Yeah, Looks but like it kind of brought up the question of like, do we need to fancify I two C device where we can basically still through still use it, but through it get more like raw access to the I two C bus? Well, you can like Python never actually like <laughs> right yeah prevents you from accessing anything. So if you do actually need to do that, you could. I mean, just, you're going to have crap. to pilot it, but. Um, okay. I think I okay, would just do two, like, like Dishifu recommends. All right. That's that's cool. Well, I'll punch on that. That's enough on that one. So the next one, how to document uh, get or set, get item, set item. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Uh, get or set item. Do you that's... doc string the actual get item, set item function or what? Can we look at the Python documentation? How they do this? I don't think they do. Uh, like you're you're talking about like the subscription thing. Yeah, so you, yeah Like exactly. on the object, you can give it brackets. I usually yeah, exactly. I usually then say like for the object itself, it acts like a a sequence, or or like I do it at the like object class level. I don't do it on the like method level, so to speak. Does that make sense? Like um, right, so it'd be in the doc string for the class, not for the functions. Right. So if I think what is it pulse in? Pulse in is an example I think that I did that's similar. Pulse io. The object at. In the so in the object documentation, I say the object acts as a read-only sequence of pulse lengths with a given max length. That's the way to. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's the link. That's what I'm looking at. And then I don't. Oh yeah, I do. I do document get get is shown in here. It says returns the value at the given index or values in slice. And then I have an example. So yeah, I would use that as a a model for it. Okay, that's that's easy enough then. Um, okay, then the last one came up with this whole DHT thing. The the best behavior 
for a sensor when it's when it just kind of hiccups or has a bad reading what what do we want to do and i can post i can do the link to the issue but i think here i'll just do this let me give you some example code so this is kind of similar to what happened this weekend so imagine having a code.py i you know the imp i've skipped the imports and stuff like that but they import and they set it up and they want to have this be their code.py. And it was working if they did it from the REPL or if they did a soft reset mm -hmm. in, in Mu or whatever. But if they powered it and hit the reset button, it wouldn't work because they hit that little 0.5 second kind of time limit thing that they weren't hitting before. DHC.humidity mm -hmm. returned to none and their code bombed. So, you know, if we were I, the returning to none, I kind of like, but then this code starts being not so, you know, beginner friendly. You have to start checking for none. Right. So well, I think, I, I think this should be, do you have something? True, false, file not found. And yeah, there's, like really there's an there. empty pattern where, where you, when you, instead of writing an exception, you, you read you return a special value that signifies error. And in Python, this tends to not work very well. As you said, then you have a lot of boilerplate code everywhere that checks. Uh, that checks if it's not or not. So in Python, they solve that by, by throwing an exception. And you can always touch that exception and ignore it if you expect that value. I think in the case of the DHT, normally it, it normally will return a none if there's been a bad check somewhere, if it's been an invalid reading, but it'll always throw an error when it does that. And this was a, an edge case that when it first initialized, initializes the value to none if there's never been a reading. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to um, do a reading on on it before, it, it, there's a there's a funny feature that when you do a, a if you want to re measure the temperature of the DHT or the humidity it actually measures both. Right. And so if you want to read both of them, typically people will say DHT temperature, then read right away, read the humidity. Right. And there's code in there to say, well, they, they're reading this too fast. You can only read, read it once, twice a second from a DHT. Mm -hmm. So there's code in there that says, if the re, if the request comes in before it's time, before a half second has gone by, they must just be reading the other half. So we'll just read, we'll just give them back the old, the same value we measured last time, right. but we'll get, you know, that way, that way you can get temperature and humidity. Right. In this case, it wasn't, I think it was just unanticipated that it would happen that you would read it in the first half second, basically it's using time.monotonic. Right. And so it fails because time.monotonic isn't big enough to satisfy the delay. Mm -hmm. So I think this was really just a bug. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of both. There, there definitely was kind of a bug. The bug is what you just described, that kind of weird edge case issue. But the question I'm kind of asking is much more general right. for any sensor and kind of giving, take into account our target audience for CircuitPython. Because I think the way Python Python does it is fine. You know, it's kind of what Deshiku said. And then you write your, then it's up to you to have try accepts in your code, et cetera. But, you know, I think I, do we I want think, to do that? I think, I think certain sensors, such as the DHT is really prone to errors. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think people do have to get used to the fact that they're going to be exceptions. Right. But right. I think I think we can 
clarify it by always throwing an exception if we return a none. So it's kind of redundant, but, it get, but you don't want to return a value because that could be really misleading. Um, and no matter how hard you try, you're, you're not going to come up with values that are reliable in all conditions, or you could, you know, return minus nine, 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 or something like that. But that's, that's really kludgy, I think. Yeah. So I think having an exception, which will then get the person's attention that they're going to have to rewrite their code because they're going to get exceptions with these, with these things. Right. And then the none sort of becomes just sort of a, a safety issue that if you ignore the exception, you're not going to get a value. <laughs> so well, I don't I see think, a I don't think we should return none. I think we should always just error. Well, um, yeah, but I mean the code, yeah, I guess the question is when you error, um, it, it, it's setting, well, in a case like the DHT, there are, um, I don't know what, you, what the proper term is, there are attributes that have contain the temperature and the humidity that are right. set by a measurement. Right. And so if you call a measure, it's going to try, it, it's supposed to set those. If, right. it, if the measurement fails, they should be set to something. They shouldn't be just left to the previous value because that previous value could be 20 years old. Right, right, right. You know, so that's why it sets them to none. Now, right. again, it's, it's up to the user not to use those. But well, I would I, say, I would say that the, the like humidity property then should say if it's none, throw an exception. Like, throw another exception from the property. I, I would agree with that. Okay. But I also think that this is a special case where, you know, if we have this half second at the start that we don't have a valid value, we could also just try reading it, right? Like, like just when you do a con when you construct the DHT object, just do an inner do the initial reading. Well, that's what the the PRA did fixes that. Okay. It it'll always read the first time through. Uh, related to that, I wonder if we want to have some kind of a wrapper utility class or, or function or something that will catch the exceptions for us and keep the last good value and, uh, you know, simplify using those sensors for people. Mm -hmm. So you basically wrap your sensor in, in that class or, or something similar. I'm not sure how you would use it. Maybe as a decorator, maybe as yeah. something else. And it would basically keep the last good value and give you the last good value if you got an error or yeah. something. Like that. This comes up also with uh, the time of flight sensors. What do you do when there's no measurement? Um, you know, mm -hmm. and they they do. They, uh, none is a valid re is or no 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 good return is is a valid result. So what? You know, what should we return there? <laughs> well, I think I think you're right. I think it in that case, none is okay. <laughs> but it should just be documented that way. Right. But does it depend on why none is being returned? Is it because of a timeout? Is it because right. of a bad value? Is it because of, a, you know, different reasons can cause that? Yeah, so basically, if it's an error, there should be an exception. That's yeah. If if there is no measurement, maybe you could. Well, I you could also throw an exception in that case. I I suppose. But uh, it really depends on the use case. I, I think I think you know. Sort of educating people to test either to test for none or is is pretty. That's pretty. That's that's kind of esoteric. But getting people to use try accept try accept conditions is, is a good habit 
although I think we want to discourage people from just doing, uh, you know, try and then accept all errors and, and yeah, move yeah. on because yeah. that, that, okay. that, that, that really hides a lot. <laughs> right. And I'm just generically concerned about trying to explain try and accept to CircuitPython's target audience. Yeah. Speaking of exceptions with sensors, I wonder if we should have a subclass for uh, the, the runtime error or something yeah. like that. Yeah, or yeah. We could... Just for the sensors and for the common uh, errors with the sensors, maybe some common. Yeah, totally. Exceptions. Yeah, I think I I think exceptions are fine as long as they're like well written <laughs> and well organized, like. You, you could have no, no measurement exception. Well, I think in that case, like, like that's what none is for. Like, none is for that third state of, like, I'm measuring a distance to an object, but there is no other object, right? Like, none seems reasonable then. Well, I would use plus infinity. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't actually know that it's plus infinity either, right? Like, well, it's outside of the range of the sensor. Yeah. Out of range seems pretty descriptive. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I think in the case of humidity, that doesn't pass that test, right? There is always humidity. Unless it's outside the range that the device is capable of measuring, if there is one. That's a good point. So I guess the well, that's the case. I mean, the the, the legitimate you'll get a legitimate reading if you put the sensor in a, you know, in a. Um, if it, I think if they go too cold or if they go out, you know, they will just they will just bottom out or or top out mm -hmm. and they'll stop going up, and there'll be no er there is no error condition there. So that becomes a little harder to trap. I think I, I, I you know I don't think we want to spend too much effort on that one um people i think should be need to, you know be a little aware of the of the range of the of the device right in other words if, if if i sit one out on my deck in a rainstorm it just pegs out about 107 <laughs> <laughs> percent but um um yeah i, I, I guess does, then you have to know then you have to start worrying about about absolutes and calibrations and all that stuff to really know whether it's whether it's maxed out or or not how helpful but, do we want to be do we want to say maximum value returned or minimum value returned i'm a lot more worried about no value return because i know that happens frequently with these sensors mm. because they do fail i mean they do just give buggy results occasionally Yes, I, I think that one one, one uh, thing here, if the end sensor actually signalizes an error, instead of returning a, like a maximum value, we should actually distinguish that from, from re uh, returning uh, maximum value. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we should never uh, return less information than the sensor is returning, just for convenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think to summarize, it depends. <laughs> um, exceptions aren't a bad thing, especially if they're worded well. And if you find yourself um, 
wanting to return the same exception for different things but with different messages you should probably use subclassed exceptions um, because we don't want people to rely on the exception message to determine what exception they actually got um, that's something we're relying on for the translation stuff so the 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 message itself along with an, an exception would actually potentially change so if you do find yourself in a in a driver wanting to return like three different runtime errors that's the time to actually subclass a, a runtime error exception and and make the class actually represent what it is rather than the message itself okay uh, we got one more in the weeds thing and then we'll wrap up. We're over an hour, so uh, this should be quick. Uh, Dakota, do you want to ask? Um, yeah, I was. I'm looking at the Huzzah, the Feather Huzzah ESP32, um, and I thought that I saw somewhere that it supported CircuitPython, that someone had successfully gotten CircuitPython to run on it. Mm -hmm. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I dreamt it. Um, but it it sounded like they had just taken the 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 Huzzah eighty two sixty six code package or whatever and just lied to it and got it to run pretty much. Um, that won't work. Okay. The ESP thirty two is significantly different from the eighty two sixty six. We did pull in MicroPython's ESP thirty two support with the four. 4x merge that we did um but i've not tested it i don't know of anybody else who's tested it and, and it's cool. not a high priority for us uh, honestly we've been talking about using uh the esp32 is kind of like a, a sibling chip uh instead of um actually having it run circuit python natively um okay it it may just be that I confused MicroPython with CircuitPython, mm -hmm. or perhaps someone else did, you know, mistakenly referred to it as CircuitPython and then went back and corrected it. And when I went looking for it again, yeah. Yeah. couldn't find it because they had corrected their mistake. Right. And I don't know of anybody who's done work to actually like bring the CircuitPython APIs to the 32. Uh, Would it be possible that someone actually used the CircuitPython? Uh, repository and compiled it and uh, got a, of course, he would go with the MicroPython for his PD32, but with the name changed to CircuitPython, so it mm -hmm. would look like it worked. Right. Yeah, so there might be some weird hybrid stuff going on if they did actually build it from a repo, because we haven't touched it, so it might, uh, might actually... Yes, I, remember. I know I tried building it once, and I can't remember if it built or not, but it certainly didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not a huge uh, priority for us. Um, we've still got a ton to do with the NRF fifty two eight forty, and I know Dan's uh, kind of burnt out on porting stuff already. So I think I think once we have NRF fifty two eight forty and the SAMDs, I think we'll probably stay there a while and and just really build out what we can do with those two platforms, including. including including using ESP using an ESP kind of uh, over a spy as a as a network device. Okay, well I I wasn't certainly pushing anyone or you know trying to apply any pressure or leverage. I was just wondering if anyone else had seen anything and I was just totally. you know missing totally. it. Yeah, no worries. 
Thank you very oh, much. Always good questions. Uh, okay, I'm just gonna. Yeah. By the way, there is some gossip about Espressive working on yet another new chip. Oh yeah. And this time with USB support. Ooh. <laughs> See, that will be a different story. Um, if if they come out with a chip with USB support, I think that would be very interesting. And if you have links to where that gossip's happening. No, no, that, that's just uh, hallway talk. Right, <laughs> TM and so on. So nothing official. Cool. Well, the as always, send links our way if you if you do see that coming. It, our you know, CircuitPython is very USB centric. So if if they did have a chip like that, that would be very interesting. Okay, I'm gonna wrap us up. Um, this is the Adafruit CircuitPython Weekly for October fifteenth, uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, thank you all for attending. As always. Uh, this happens every week on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on our Discord channel. Uh, we chat there all week, so you should join it even if you're not able to make that time. Uh, you can join by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord um, and join the, the CircuitPython text channel there is where, where we're chatting. The meeting happens in the CircuitPython voice channel, which is further down the list and has a little like speaker next to it. Um, everybody is welcome to join the meeting, so if that time does work for you, let us know or, or join in, and, and we'd love to hear what you're working on. Um, this meeting is recorded, uh, both audio and video of the text chat, and it goes on the Adafruit YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Adafruit. Um, so if you aren't able to make that time but do want to pay attention to the meetings, that's a good place to do it. Um, and we did take notes uh, during this meeting and most of the meetings in the past. And those notes go into a particular circuit or uh, a meeting repo on disk on GitHub. I don't actually remember exactly what the URL is. Um, so uh, take a look for that if you want to go from the notes to the video rather, rather than the video to the notes. And uh, check out the Python for Microcontrollers newsletter. It goes out uh, every week on Tuesday mornings. Uh, it includes a whole bunch of uh, interesting links about Python, MicroPython, CircuitPython, um, all in one cool uh, weekly newsletter. It also includes the um, also includes the link to the latest uh, video of this meeting. Um, so that's a good way to, to pay attention to that as well. Um, okay, and next week we should be uh, as planned uh, as normal. Um, we will we do post occasionally to the text channel if we do have to alter the meeting time, but I believe next week is just like normal. So thank you everybody for joining. Thanks everyone. Later.